Clemson avenged its regular season loss to Notre Dame, and Trevor Lawrence made his last case for the Heisman Trophy. Football season is over for UVA and Virginia Tech, but the news for those programs hasn't slowed down one bit. Virginia Tech wrapped up its non-league basketball play while UVA came back from a 17-day pause. This week on Teal and Barber. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here, as he always does, my co host, the 13 time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm well, and hope uh, everyone in your household is too. We are hanging in there, getting into the holiday spirit. David, this will be uh, our final show of, of 2020, and I, I think I speak for everyone when I say this is a year <laughs> I'm very happy to move on from. I imagine you feel the same way in the Teal household. Absolutely. We want to put it in our rearview mirror and hope and pray that 2021 is a little bit better and a little less eventful. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the thing we want most of the holidays, it feels like, is is for things to be a little normal. And uh, it may be cliche to steal from holiday songs, but I'll ask this question, David. Uh, at your house, is it beginning to look a lot like Christmas? Oh, it did the day after Thanksgiving when we, <laughs> when, when we, when we went and got the tree and started uh pulling the decoration boxes out of the garage. So yeah, we've been ready to go. We've got a little countdown snowman in the family room and that number right now is at two. We've been uh, we've been enjoying. We did the, the Hanukkah celebration here. Now we're on to Christmas. And uh, the biggest change at Christmas this year for us is with Evan being uh, my son, the 18-month-old baby. He's so mobile and so active. We've actually used a, a baby gate and protected the Christmas tree. Yeah. So we And we also had to redo kind of the, the, the best ornaments, the most special ornaments. They had to go near the top of the tree where the baby's mm-hmm. less likely to rip them down. So that, that's been a big adjustment. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to get a little bit into the holiday spirit. And, and I think especially for the kids, but probably for the grownups too, it's um, just a good feeling to be celebrating, not as normal because we won't see uh, family like we normally would. And we have uh, had some different adventures with our gift giving. I, I know that at least one of our gifts apparently was en route from, from somewhere like the Ukraine and, and hasn't quite hasn't quite reached <laughs> our house yet. So I don't know if Santa is going to pick up that one at the end here to, to <laughs> push it across the finish line or if we may get some delayed Christmas gifts. But uh, it, it's certainly good to, to have holidays to celebrate nonetheless. Now, UVA and Virginia Tech, their football teams are both going to be home for the holidays. That's kind of unusual. They passed on bowl games this year. We have already talked about that and the reasons for that. Uh, You know, a a year ago at this time, I was covering the Orange Bowl with UVA, then hopping a quick flight to the Belk Bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did the same. Yeah. Now for the first time in eight years for me, and I'm going to ask because it's got to be so much longer for you, we're not covering bowl games this month. When was the last time you didn't cover a bowl game actually mike it hasn't been that long i passed on and i'm glad i did because it wasn't much of a game i passed russell athletic yes (laughs) 2012 between your storied alma mater (laughs) and and virginia tech and i remember watching that from home and thinking wow what a great decision i made 
A lucky man that was. Now, it was very exciting to see my alma mater play in a bowl game, but uh, yeah, that was a dog of a football game. That was, uh, if, if listeners remember, that was the game that uh, ended there with both teams just couldn't wait to give the football back, turning it over and turning it over, and uh, that was an ugly one. And it was a miserable weather night, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And, and it was, if I remember, there was some confusion about how to get from the press box to the interview room. And um, we were kind of rushing down there. And it was a year that everyone was anticipating big uh, staff changes from Coach Beamer. Um, it, uh, I believe Kevin Sherman, the, the wide receiver yes. coach, he already had like his phone and office and listing on the page at Purdue where he was off to. Um mm-hmm. But nobody would, would tell us who had left and who was leaving and uh, what an odd time that was. But uh, I think I also would agree that, that probably both of us uh, would be looking forward to covering bowl games again next year. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, you know, last year was among many seasons where I did multiple bowls. And it, it, it's always a, a fun way to, to wrap up the year. And I remember, you know, just last Saturday night walking out of Bank of America Stadium after the ACC title game and thinking, well, that's a wrap. <laughs> Put the <laughs> yeah. binoculars away until uh, next season. Although with some of our basketball seating, you might want yeah. to keep those binoculars <laughs> yes. handy. <laughs> Point quite well taken. You know, that's a thing for sports writers that it's certainly hard and, and, and you hate to give up time with your family at this time of year. But I think for all of us, going to bowl games is – it's kind of it's kind of part of the holiday season, and mm-hmm. uh, that brings us rather quickly to, to this week's uh, holiday edition of Who You Got. Thanks, Mike. Which is the better holiday eve? Is it Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve? Let's start with David. I think Christmas Eve is by far the the better holiday, simply because for for years now, decades even as I have aged. I have found New Year's Eve to be amateur night, and I just prefer the the quiet and the peace and just kind of the internal reflection of Christmas Eve with those who are nearest and dearest. Pretty good call. Mike, how about you? So I, I'm going to go the opposite, but for a similar reason. I, I always loved the party of New Year's Eve when I was younger. I'm not younger anymore. Uh, there was a stretch where I could not stand New Year's Eve. It just, uh, there was nothing in it for me, right? I was too old for the real party scene, but but too young for what I enjoy now on New Year's Eve. And now what I enjoy is uh, having kind of my wife and kids there. And, and it's thinking back on the year that was, um, thinking about the year that's coming now. Obviously, the children would still pick Christmas Eve because they know presents are coming. Uh, but there's something cool to me about New Year's Eve post-party age <laughs> where um, it does, kind of like you said with walking out of that ACC championship, it, it puts the bow on the year for me. And um, I don't know, I, I enjoy that sort of hopeful feeling of what's coming. And, and I always find that no matter how I felt about the previous year, on New Year's Eve, I can think of a lot of things I really enjoyed about it. And it might be a challenge this year, right? <laughs> but I, I think on New Year's Eve 2020, um, I'm going to look back and, and there's going to be things about this year that I, I really enjoyed. I've spent far too many New Year's Eves in remote places like <laughs> El Paso, Texas, with sports writers like you to, <laughs> to, to, to have that much of an affection for the holiday. And a bonus question, which is the better holiday eve beverage, Christmas eggnog or New Year's Eve champagne? Let's start with Mike. 
You know, I, I'm going to go sticking with the New Year's theme. I'm going to go with the New Year's champagne. I've always enjoyed uh, champagne. And it's interesting now with the kids and especially with, with my daughter being old enough to understand what's happening, but obviously not old enough to drink champagne. Uh, we've kind of subbed in sparkling cider and sparkling apple juice for uh, our New Year's drink. We also, as we've gotten older, don't always make it to midnight. So it might be more of a nine o'clock toast with uh, with at least my daughter still awake and uh but champagne would be my choice if I'm picking one of the two. What's your preference, David? Oh, champagne gives me a headache <laughs> and not even a lot of it. So no thank you. And I do like a nice eggnog with a little nip in it and a little nutmeg sprinkled on top. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to give that a try. There was one Christmas that I was really into eggnog. I don't remember why, and I don't remember why I, I then got off it. But maybe maybe we'll revisit it this year as <laughs> we obviously won't be going anywhere. So uh, it is a perfect year to dip into some spiked eggnog. Well, you, you won't be going anywhere unless you're, you know, hang, hanging out with the Washington football team's quarterback after yeah. <laughs> What a poor decision that oh, was. Dwayne Haskins, what are you doing? It's, you know, I, I had some sympathy for guys, I think, at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> when we didn't know what we were in for and and you didn't quite get it and everybody but now it's like hey well however you feel about things here are the rules here's what you have to do for your team and goodness gracious for for a guy who's trying to salvage his career that was a, a messy mistake right and get his team to the playoffs yeah how crazy is that right. that we're we're heading into the holiday season and we still think that the washington football team is uh relevant and they are relevant in the nfl so that was odd Speaking of college football, and David, you mentioned it, you were in Charlotte for the ACC mm -hmm. championship game and uh, the, the game we expected, right? Going into the year, Clemson-Notre yeah. Dame, that's that's what everybody said. Hey, Notre Dame was going to join the ACC for one season and all signs were they were going to meet Clemson. Now we got a preview in a regular season matchup, but Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence in that one. And if you've watched college football for the last couple of years, you know Trevor Lawrence, he makes a big difference. So David, this time they had him. Uh, he was there. He played. He played well. This one wasn't really in much doubt, was it? No, it wasn't. And selfishly, I was very disappointed because I was absolutely hoping for maybe not necessarily double overtime because of deadline purposes, but <laughs> just just hoping for fourth quarter drama. And there wasn't even third quarter drama in this, Mike. And you and you mentioned Trevor Lawrence, and very rarely. Do I handicap well? But the one thing I thought that was kind of an understated reason to think that his presence would be a large difference was just his ability to make plays with his feet. And sure enough, season high 90 yards rushing for Trevor Lawrence, including a 34 yard touchdown. I believe it was in the second quarter when Clemson pulled away. And just that threat of Lawrence on the RPOs opened things up for Travis Etienne. And Etienne, you'll remember, was limited to 28 yards in Notre Dame's victory in South Bend last month. And he goes for a buck 20 something on Saturday, including a 44 yard touchdown. Uh, Clemson just had it all going on. That was angry, desperate, motivated Clemson. And when they're that way, they are a load. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I thought, and we talked about it um, last week, 
the importance of Trevor Lawrence as a runner, the importance of his ability to dissect a defense and know when it's going to be there, um, to stay out of bad plays because of his ability to recognize what's happening. I think Trevor Lawrence is, is a little bit underappreciated in that regard. Um, but as I watched that game play out, I thought, man, David and I really know what we're talking about because our preview of that game was was yeah. exactly what we ended up getting. And I think you make a great point, too, about about the motivation, not that Notre Dame lacked motivation, because there was question about what would happen with them if they didn't play well. Um, but but that was Clemson, the Clemson program that we've seen in the last three or four years uh, in the championship mode, right? In that championship drive, this is the way they play. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is. Um, they have the chance to be dominant. Now, both these teams, you know, they go to Charlotte thinking they're headed to the to playoffs, hoping they're headed to the playoffs. Clemson probably understanding it, it needed to win to get there. Uh, the, the way it all shook out, is this right? Is, is the way they got the college football playoff right? I think the selection committee got the top four absolutely mm-hmm. right, Mike. Uh, I mean, it, it came down to Notre Dame or Texas A&M, both with one loss for that fourth and final spot. And to me, it's not even close if you look at the overall body of work. A&M has beaten two teams, two with winning records, Florida and Auburn. Notre Dame has beaten four. That would be Pittsburgh, Boston College, and oh, by the way, Clemson, which is in the playoff, and number 13, North Carolina. And to, to me, it just, I mean, it's, it's interesting that the committee, and I think rightly so, looked at Notre Dame's ACC schedule and judged it as more difficult than A&M's SEC schedule. And how many times ever could you have said that, that the ACC would be held in higher regard than the SEC? It's a, it's a one-season snapshot, and it's a peculiar season at that. But I do think the committee got that part right where it, where I think the committee was really wrong was its treatment of the group of five teams, particularly Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. I thought they were ranked way too low. And I think Cincinnati belonged in the discussion for that fourth spot. But clearly at number eight, the Bearcats were an afterthought. Yeah, that was the part that surprised me. I didn't think that Cincinnati or certainly Coastal was going to crack the top four. And it's hard. You've got to separate people when they're up on their soapboxes here. Um, I think Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina were done horribly wrong by the selection committee, not because they weren't included in the championship picture. That's a a debate about the structure and how it all works for, for another time. But in terms of the New Year's Six Bowls, in terms of where they finished in the rankings, it just seemed like the committee didn't study them. Like, like the committee didn't really put much time in. They, they said, oh, yeah, you know, they are where they are. They're unbeaten, but, you know, they didn't really play anybody that great. And let's just sprinkle them in here somewhere in these rankings when we're done. I just, for a group that seems to put so much time and effort into splitting hairs, right? That's what this committee does. Um, it, it seems like they combed over, if you will, uh, Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina, what they did. And I thought that was disappointing because I agree with you. I think the most important part, the top four, I think they got that right. Yeah. I mean, consider Coastal Carolina, Mike, undefeated. And one of those wins was over Louisiana. And you're thinking, okay, who's Louisiana? Well, Louisiana happened to open its season by beating to death on the road Iowa State by 17 points. Iowa State has lost three games 
Again, I repeat, Coastal Carolina has lost none. But yet, Iowa State is ranked ahead of Coastal Carolina in the final CFP poll. It It's indefensible in my book. It, 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 that's what I mean. It, it looks like a mistake. It, it looks like they forgot to evaluate what Coastal Carolina had done. And I also thought that, that Coastal Carolina deserved more credit for that BYU win, not, not just because it was a good win, but because of the way they took it on. Mm-hmm. They said, hey, we know this has been a weird year. We haven't been able to schedule the way we normally would. We know we need to do more to impress the selection committee. And they played BYU, a, a good BYU team, on short notice and won. And, and BYU deserves credit for that too, for playing that game. But my point is, this is a team that not only did they take care of business every week they played, uh, not only do they have the victories they have, but they went out and did more. They, they did their part. They did extra work to impress the committee. And, and it's not that they were snubbed. To me, it feels like they were ignored. It feels like nobody took the time to look at what 11-0 meant at Coastal Carolina this year. And, and I thought that was, uh, for me at least, disappointing. Yeah. But how cool that they end up in the Cure Bowl against Liberty, who they were supposed to play in December, the game that got canceled, which is why BYU came to Conway, South Carolina in the first place. And then all of a sudden now you, you get Liberty and Coastal in a bowl, which, which is nice. Yeah, it's nice, I guess. I I don't know. If you're a Coastal Carolina fan, don't you want a name opponent? Don't you, don't you want somebody bigger than Liberty? Um, I mean, I get what you're saying, and, and it yeah. is a good football matchup. But It really is. Me, 11-0 against 9-1. It, it's one of the games I'll be looking forward to, to watching, but I don't know. I just Coastal Carolina, to me, they, they deserve a shot against somebody who's up there in the rankings to, to kind of legitimize themselves, and, and I felt like um, the final rankings denied them that. But Hey, you don't always get what you deserve in this life, do you? And uh, that brings us to the topic of the <laughs> the Heisman Trophy. Now, uh, we're, we're not allowed to reveal who we voted for, but I'm curious your thoughts in, in terms of uh, maybe getting what you deserve. Trevor Lawrence's case for the award, and, and it, it just feels to me like there was such an expectation around Trevor Lawrence that almost anything he did would have seemed like he came up short. He, he was named the ACC Player of the Year today, rightfully so. He's a finalist for the Maxwell and the Davey O'Brien Awards for the, the best player and the best quarterback in college football. I'm sure he'll be a finalist for the Heisman. I don't know whether or not he'll win it. But David, did it feel like we expected Trevor Lawrence to, to cure COVID and to end world <laughs> hunger and to win a national title before we were going to say that he lived up to expectations? Well, in... And I think part of that, Mike, is Trevor Lawrence was so front and center during the debate of whether there was even going to be a season. You know, Trevor was out there on the, let us play, we want to play. I mean, he kind of spearheaded that social media campaign. And he was also very active along with teammate Darian Rencher when it came to social issues on campus there at Clemson. So he I mean, he is the face of college football. And, and when you are that, when you take on that mantle, not that he took it on voluntarily, it was kind of foisted upon him, but much is expected. And oh, by the way, the cat is, and I know the Heisman is not a career achievement award, but the dude is 34 and one as a starter, which is just ridiculous. I mean, it is, it is truly amazing. And as, as Dabo Sweeney points out often, 
Trevor Lawrence hasn't seen many fourth quarters. I mean, yeah. his numbers could be a heck of a lot better, but yeah. they're not. When people talk about, you know, the expectations for Trevor Lawrence, now I saw him play twice in person. You saw him play twice in person this season. There is no metric that I have at my disposal in which he didn't live up to expectations. That's the part that I'm having trouble with. I, I guess mm-hmm. people are getting bogged down by total statistics, yeah. but Clemson didn't lose a game when he played, okay? Mm-hmm. The guy was great in big spots. He led them to another ACC championship. He has them back in the playoff. I, I am I am struggling with the narrative that Trevor Lawrence didn't quite deliver on the lofty expectations because other than piling up some garbage time stats, what was missing? Or, or are we blaming him for, for testing positive and missing a, a game with COVID? He missed two. Missing two games. Right. And, oh, by the way, every game that Trevor Lawrence played, Clemson won by at least 18 points. The guy was great this year. <laughs> he was great this year. So, David, I again, I won't we won't put either of us on the spot with, with who we voted for. We're not allowed to reveal that. But uh, tell me this. When it's all said and done, do you think Trevor Lawrence is the guy who wins the Heisman? No, I don't. I think Devontae Smith is going to win uh, the Alabama receiver. Again, based on number, I mean, his numbers are so off the charts. And oh, by the, and, and he is truly spectacular. And 15 catches, I think I have that right the other mm-hmm. night in the SEC championship a game. Huge game. Monster uh, game. Against Florida. And oh, by the way, when did the SEC morph into the Big 12? I, I missed the memo <laughs> there because it seems every game in that league this season, both teams were in the 40s, if not 50s. I mean, it's didn't that used to be a line them up and play defense conference? It sure did. It is, it is not anymore. But my hunch is Smith wins, but I wouldn't. I mean, most years you know who's going to win the Heisman. I I suspect Smith will win, but I wouldn't bet you a nickel on it. Yeah, yeah. Hard year to pick. And um, our, our good friend Wes McElroy, who I believe, if I remember right, was the first guest we ever had on this podcast. Uh, I was on his radio show the other day. We were talking. This feels like a year where – if they hand the, the Heisman Trophy to Trevor Lawrence, if they hand it to Devontae Smith, if they hand it to Mac Jones, if they hand it to Kyle Trask, I, I, this feels like a year where I'd feel good about any of those yeah, guys. Those, sure. those guys all had really, I thought, great seasons. So um, to me, that takes off a little pressure as a Heisman voter. Um, I didn't look at my list of, of guys that I was considering and think, man, you know, some of these guys shouldn't win a Heisman. Like all of these guys uh, put up incredible years in, in incredible circumstances. And, um, you know, there's still a lot of magic to that trophy. And, and it'll be fun to watch and, and see who ends up walking away with the hardware. Now, from an ACC quarterback shooting for another championship, shooting for a Heisman, to the quarterback carousel at Virginia Tech, David Hendon Hooker, Tech starter for most of the past two seasons, he announced he's entering the transfer portal, he's leaving the program. This comes less than a month after Quincy Patterson, one of Hooker's backups, also bolted. Patterson's already hooked up with North Dakota State. Um, how do we feel about this sort of in and out revolving door at the quarterback position at Virginia Tech? It's college football. Quarterback. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody has broken down the numbers of you know what percentage of quarterback signees at the power five level end up transferring, but it is a ton 
And I'm never surprised when a quarterback transfers because they all want to play, and most of them believe they should be playing. And when they don't, they're out of there. And it's going to only get worse now that the trans one-time transfer waiver is coming. But, but David, that, that's all that's all fine and, and, and good. But Hendon Hooker was this team's starting quarterback until was. the final game of the season. Right. Did things go so sideways when he got quote unquote got cold against Clemson that that was it? I mean, had Hendon Hooker lost his job completely? Had Tech moved on, and then it was time for him to move on? Is that is that what this transfer tells us? Yes. <laughs> No, I, I really think so. I think it got sideways in a hurry between Hooker and the coaching staff and in the locker room. That's just my my sense of it, and he wanted out. And remember, this is the second time yeah. he's hit the portal. You know, and the first time he came back, clearly he's not coming back this time. But no, it, it, it's, it's soon – as the whole Clemson thing, I mean, you were there that night. I was, mm. but I when I watched the whole thing unfold, my immediate response was transfer portal. I knew he was out of there that day. That's interesting. It took me a little longer. It was when we found out that he was healthy and available for the UVA game and he wasn't the quarterback and there yeah. wasn't a rotation. I said, okay, if you're the coaches and you're trying at all to keep this kid, he's getting a few series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're saying, hey, you know, we're not quite sure what happened last week. We had to prepare this way. You can spin it if you give the kid the third and sixth series of the game. They just sat him on the bench. And and I'm with you at that point. I said, it's over. Now, here's why it's a concern to me, because everybody has transfers, right? You talked about that. College football is transfer now. That's what it is. And you're not playing, you leave. I get that. Hendon Hooker, maybe he wasn't going to play anymore. But think about the history that this team now has of quarterbacks. Think about Gerard Evans, who led them to a coastal division title and then bolted for the NFL. Now, kids do that, right? They, they make bad decisions sometimes, but Gerard Evans bolted. He left. He wanted out. Josh Jackson, they tell him he's going to have to compete w- with Ryan Willis. What does he do? He leaves, even though I think most of us think like he was going to win the job again. At least I did. I thought Josh Jackson was going to beat out Ryan Willis and be the starting quarterback. He didn't stick around. He transfers to Maryland. A.J. Bush, who, who had signed with this staff, transferred to Illinois. Now Patterson uh, being used as, as kind of third or the backup, transfers to NDSU. Hooker's heading out now. We just talked about his case. It's unusual. But David, it's got to be troubling that this head coach who's a, a quote-unquote you know quarterback whisperer, quarterbacks don't seem to be in love with the idea of, of sticking it out with him. Nope, I agree. And it's it's not a not a great look at that position. Again, you know, it's it's the most common position to transfer. But yeah, you're you're gonna have I don't know if, if this will be reflected in future recruiting at the quarterback position. Will will elite type quarterbacks be hesitant to come to Blacksburg? I I do not know. But clearly they have been unable to sign someone, groom them, bring them along, and have them stick it out. It's haven't been able to do it yet. And those programs that can, you know, usually usually have it work out for them. Case in point, the young man we were talking about earlier, Trevor Lawrence. 
Yeah, you know, and it's odd. And I know Virginia Tech likes to point out that they don't have the most kids in the transfer portal. And that's true. I mean, mm-hmm. at last check, Georgia Tech had about a dozen. UNC had about a dozen. Tech had seven or eight. So they don't they don't lead the ACC in guys in the transfer portal. The reason they get talked about and the reason they get banged on is they've got people in the portal who are starters, right? Like, look at the two linemen, Brian Hudson and Doug Nestor. Those guys were guys who were in the starting lineup and presumably would have been that. We don't know if things got you know sideways in, in the locker room with them or with the coaches, but talent-wise, playing time-wise, they were in line to be starting linemen next year, Hudson and Nestor. When guys like that are leaving your program, guys who are getting playing time, that's why it becomes a narrative. And that's why it becomes a national narrative because people are saying, hey, you know, UVA had a couple of kids this week enter the transfer portal, right? Uh, Heskin Smith and Bratton, uh, not Bratton, uh, another one of the defensive backs, uh, I think Darnell Pratt, they entered the transfer portal. They're backup guys. They didn't play much. A bunch of other defensive backs announced they were coming back for another season. And those kids said, hey, I'm not going to see the field. I'm going to go somewhere else. And I don't think anybody criticizes college teams when kids who aren't playing leave. But tech seems to be losing these kids who are starters, who are frontline talent, who are key pieces. And I think that's why it's worth talking about. I think Hudson and Nestor are bigger hits than Hooker. Yes. Really do. Agree. And you just can't have enough quality offensive linemen. And those two fit the bill. And, you know, of course, as as we expected, Christian Darasaw is headed off to the NFL. So all of a sudden that becomes, you know, a pretty big rebuild up front for Vance Vice and the, the rest of the coaching staff. Um, yeah, it's that that's the, those are the two you are like, wow. And they were big time recruits too, mm-hmm. but you know, but both in that, that four star territory. So if, if, if you're looking for something that is, uh, not good optically. I think those two more so than Hooker. Yeah, the, the quarterback is, is sexy, right? That's always going to be the headline grabber. Offensive line, they've worked so hard to build up that mm-hmm. position. And and to your point, nobody has criticized Virginia Tech for Christian Darasaw leaving. Oh no, right? They developed that kid into a potential first round draft pick. That is a success story. Even though he's leaving early, that's not saying anything negative. That's a positive for Virginia Tech. They took this kid who a lot of people overlooked and helped mold him into a potential first-round draft pick. And when he's got that shot, he should go. But there has to be a line there of of who's going to take his spot. And when the guys who are lined up to take his spot and who are now getting their shot are looking for the door, it's a problem. Now, at quarterback, you said, you know, you think those linemen are bigger than the hooker departure. Is that because Braxton Burmeister, the, the Oregon transfer, he went three and one in the starter. He led them to the win over UVA. So David, when you, when you say you're more concerned about the lineman th- than hooker, is Burmeister's ability part of what you're factoring in there? Yes. I, I, I think he's, he's a nice piece to start with at quarterback. I also think they're going to be in the transfer market. I think they'll bring in somebody else. Yeah, and I'm rightfully so. And and that's not even a criticism of Burmeister, right? Like no. You have to have two or three quarterbacks and there's just left. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just yeah. like UVA bringing in Keaton Thompson. You know, Brent Brennan Armstrong was the heir apparent to Bryce Perkins, but yet in, in the offseason, Bronco Mendenhall took Keaton Thompson from Mississippi State. Now he ended up being more of a 
hybrid, but I absolutely expect Virginia Tech to hit the portal and and take a quarterback. So Burmeister is the last quarterback standing, if you will, and that brings us to this week's Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. One or two of those Virginia Tech quarterbacks leaving was inevitable, given the landscape of college football and the NCAA transfer portal. Let's start with David. Take it or leave it. Oh, I'm taking it. Yeah, you had to know that either that from among the group, Burmeister, Patterson, Hooker, at least one was going to leave. And Patterson seemed like the most likely because he was playing the least throughout the season. It's, you know, it's the second one. You're like, oh, you know, now they're going to have to go get somebody else. Mike? Yeah, I'll take it. And that was sort of my, my thought was, I thought between Hooker and Burmeister, one of them was going to go. Um, and when we saw the way that the season ended, it made sense that it was Hooker. I thought Patterson was going to stick it out. Um, the kid had played a lot. He had played in some big spots. And knowing that or anticipating that either Hendon Hooker or Braxton Burmeister would be gone, he would be the clear number two uh, on a team that seems like it's going to use two quarterbacks. It, it just seemed like next year was the year he was working to. So I'm not surprised at all that Hooker slash Burmeister left. One of them was going to go. I thought Patterson was going to stick it out. And next year might be the year that that we really see him blossom into a player. That That's my disappointment here is... Um, he put in a lot of time. Tech put in a lot of time with him, uh, and it would have been interesting to see how that that played out. Now, David, you mentioned Keaton Thompson at UVA. The NCA said this year doesn't count for eligibility. Keaton Thompson was one of 17 fourth- and fifth-year players at UVA who say, yeah, thanks. We're going to take advantage of that rule. We're going to come back and play again in, in 2021. That's a huge boost, David, for Bronco Mendenhall, especially on the offensive and defensive line, the secondary. What did you think of the group that that said, hey, we're coming back? Yeah, you mentioned the offensive line. Chris Glazer is is one of the guys who announced that he's coming back. And then in in the secondary, you know, you've got uh, Joey Blunt coming back at safety, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's large. I mean, the entire offensive line should be back uh, for for the Cavaliers, along with Brennan Armstrong, who was not, you know obviously not among the, that group because he's younger. Um, that's that's a nice nice piece or nice pieces for Bronco Mendenhall and his staff to take into 2021. Yeah, no doubt. And and it's just, you know, it's interesting because UVA had some losses, right? Charles Snowden, Zane Zandier, they're both turning pro and, mm-hmm. and, and that makes sense. We talked about those two backup DBs who are in the portal, but overall, this is about as good a start to the offseason for Bronco Mendenhall and UVA as you can have. And I looked at the lineup they played against Tech and, you know, their final game, that entire offensive line is mm-hmm. coming back. The entire defensive secondary that started that game is coming back. So uh, you look at some things to build on. And to me, in that announcement, Virginia went from, um, I'm not sure how they're going to look next year, to me thinking, hey, that's going to be a a pretty decent team, actually, in 2021. Yeah, now they have to address running back and wide out. Yes, because they they did have, uh, we did not see any of those names (laughs) in there. Well, Rashawn Henry, the transfer. Yes, who who will help. Yes, and was coming on as the year Mm -hmm. went on. um, Absolutely was. His first four catches of the season went for touchdowns, if if I recall correctly. And uh, that that was a a name that, that jumped off the page to me. But, I mean, running back is where... 
I mean, you, you, we saw it this year in Blacksburg. Mm-hmm. What what Khalil Herbert meant to to the Hokies, and you know, where would they have been without Khalil Herbert? And you know, earlier we, I, I was looking today. Here's how good the ACC was this season, especially running back among those in the country with at least 100 carries this season. Khalil Herbert is second only to North Carolina's Michael Carter in yards per carry. And Khalil Herbert is third team all ACC. And and I don't know that you could argue with that. I mean, you can argue, but I don't think that that was a terrible selection. Uh, No, no, it was a very deep year, good year at running back. And, you know, Virginia, I thought had a good player in in Shane Simpson that they Mm -hmm. got through the transfer portal. Um, He is not coming back. He's headed to turn pro. But another player like that, uh, could be the missing piece between because Brennan Armstrong's coming back, and and we'll talk in a future episode about what he got out of this year and his development. But uh, the offensive line's back, the quarterback's back. You get a stud running back in with that, and and I think people are going to be talking quite highly about uh, Virginia when when the year comes. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see the transfer market this off season, maybe more than than any season we've looked at um, in recent years. Now. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think you'll see Virginia in the transfer market at those two positions, running back and wide out. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and maybe outside linebacker too because mm-hmm. uh, they, they need a little more depth, I would think, there. Now, transitioning to basketball, Virginia Tech, it, it wrapped up its non-league schedule, decisive home win over Longwood on Monday night. That was a win that at that point made the Hokies the ACC's league leader in a most significant category, I would say, this COVID year. <laughs> They led the league in games played. Uh, Tech had played eight games at that point. They were 6-1 and one in non-league games, plus they had an ACC win over Clemson. David, before we talk about Mike Young's team on the floor, how encouraging is it that Mike Young's team got on the floor eight times? Hey, the NCAA requirement to reach the tournament this year, or to at least qualify to be considered, is 13 games. Eight down, five to go. I mean that's 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 how I would look at it. Absolutely. I think that's that is a serious win to 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 get all seven non-conference games. That's the most they could have played. Got them all in, and now it's 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 on the conference season. And from what we've seen, of course, there's no chance that the Hokies will play all twenty league games. There's just too many starts and stops, but. Yeah, the, the the fact that they've been on the floor eight times, good on them. And I'm sure that Mike Young is very happy. Yeah, it's such a critical point you make when you think about the, the number for the tournament, because not only did they play eight, they won seven of them. Mm-hmm. They beat Villanova. They have a, a league win already over Clemson. Clemson yeah. So good Clemson team. Very good. And so if they run into trouble in the second half of the year, they're still going to be within striking. Wake Forest has only played twice. They've only played twice, David. It's it's almost Christmas. We're talking about Christmas. They've only played two games. They're in a hole. Uh, UVA with the big break. We're going to talk about that in a second. So it is unusual to, to just get the inventory that Tech has. Now on the floor, I think we've got to like a lot of what we've seen. I think I look at Keve Aluma and what he's given them. And, you know, I thought Mike Young oddly downplayed him going into the year. And maybe it was just not wanting to have expectations too high, or maybe he's done more than Mike Young expected. But, you know, Mike kind of build him as um, the Robin, right? He wasn't a Batman. He was a Robin. He was kind of a a, a big a guy who could play big minutes and, and could score and could rebound, but he wasn't going to be the star. David, he's been 
the leading scorer, the leading rebounder. He's been the star so far. Absolutely. Uh, I kind of thought that that might be the case. They, uh, Mike Young may have downplayed it a little bit, but I thought if you read between the lines of, of some of his remarks, you, you got the feeling that they knew from having had Aluma at Wofford and then that redshirt year that he was really going to be a difference maker. And in fact, you know, I, I think it was Mike who, who used this line that often in practice last year, Chester Fraser, one of his assistants, would say, man, if we could have him playing now, how good would we be? And they have him now, and we can we see how good they can be. Yeah, it's, it's been impressive. They, they have other pieces too. Uh, Jalen Cohn, since he's come back from that injury, his three-point shooting, man, when he gets going, David, he yeah. is he is a weapon. Yeah, and he's got no conscience, which is, which you, <laughs> no, which you love yeah. to see with, with shooters. And if you're good enough, I mean, Mike Young's history, as he showed at Wofford, you know, he will, you know, Fletcher McGee set the NCAA record for, for made threes. He'll let you go. He'll he'll green light you with, with without hesitation if you earn it. And I think Jalen Cohn has earned it. Yeah, it's interesting coming out of the Buzz Williams years and obviously very successful. And, and Buzz had that kind of a great shot, good shot, and mm-hmm. perfect shot. And, and he really wanted to get away from anything other than a perfect shot. And um, I think this is a better fit, right, for Jalen Cohn. Because, you know, Mike Young wants you to take good, smart shots. But to your point, a good smart shot doesn't necessarily mean you're you're not covered or or you're not behind the line. I mean, uh, if you're Jalen Cohn, go ahead and and let it rip. And I think Nahima Lane too. I, I think they've got some real good shooters, and uh, I think they're going to be carried to some wins on some nights when things are off uh, in, in other areas by that shooting. I think more often they're going to be carried to wins by their defense. And I was really impressed in the Villanova win uh, with with their on ball defense with Bisabidi certainly. Um, but, but their just ability to uh, to rotate, to guard the basketball. David, I think that's ultimately what's going to define this team. They were really good defensively against Clemson, too. Mm-hmm. Very good. And yes, that is where they and, – and defense and rebounding kind of go hand in hand. And that's where they needed to get better. And Mike Young and his staff knew it, and they've – they addressed it through the transfer market and it's really paid off and you're, you're seeing it on the court and now they're going to get into to ACC play. And you, you mentioned the three point shooting. How many did they make against Coppin 20, which is just, you know, insane. I think it was Chris Coleman, our friend from tech sideline tweeted that night. Hey guys, save some of these for, for, for ACC play. I was thinking, you know, obviously they they crushed Coppin that night, and you got to be careful comparing scores. Duke beat Coppin by ten. Okay, I mean it was competitive throughout. It wasn't like that was a thirty point game, and all of a sudden Coppin drew within ten in the last five minutes of garbage time. That was a game for forty minutes, and yet, you know, Hokies just kicked it into gear that night. Well. They're going to be really intriguing to watch. 
Yeah, so by the transitive property, Duke Duke better watch out, right? That's uh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> now we mentioned defense. Defense wins championships. We know that because we also cover UVA, and they <laughs> rode a uh, that nation's best defense to a title. Now the Cavaliers they had to take a long pause here due to COVID <laughs> issues. David, you wrote about this. I mean, this how long the longest pause in forty something years? Yeah, nineteen seventy eight. Uh, which obviously wasn't a COVID pause or a pandemic pause. It was just a weird scheduling quirk. They went from, I think it was, you know, like December 5th against Randolph-Macon of all people. And and then to after Christmas, I think, against Providence. But it was more than three weeks. And, you know, this time... 17, 18 days between the Kent State game and then yesterday against uh, William and Mary. Now, they, they had some big-time matchups that I was looking yeah. forward to wiped out in, sure. in Michigan State and Villanova, and they were they were off all this time. And the kids told us after the game last night that uh, they were able to get in the gym individually, shoot on a half court that had been sanitized and kind of get some shots up. They were able to meet uh, as a team at night um, on Zoom. Uh, meet virtually, go over film, go over strategy. But David, I, I was impressed with, with what I saw on the floor. Now, you were at the game uh, against William & Mary. They didn't look that rusty, did they? No, especially Kihei Clark. Yeah. You know, he had, he had not started, I guess it was the Kent State game, and I'm sure Tony Bennett was sending him a message. And I thought he was really good. I mean, he only scored six points, but they were six early points. He was so good on the ball defensively. Uh, William Mary had 17 turnovers. I'll bet you Kihei Clark had a role in five or six of them. I mean, just pestering people, quick hands, drew a couple charges. They really frustrated, I thought, Luke Lowy, William and Mary's best player and an 18-point-a-game score. He only, he only had five yesterday, none in the first 17 minutes. Clark was on him. Trey Murphy was on him. Casey Morsell. They, they, they rotated defenders. But, yeah, I, I thought they were really good on that end, except for a little stretch there at the beginning of the second half. Yeah, you know, we, we in the football talk, we praised Coastal Carolina and BYU for uh, putting a game together kind of last minute. It's a good thing, I think, that UVA played this William & Mary game because they've added a <laughs> game kind of last minute against a team. And if you're looking for their name in the rankings, go all the way up to the top because they've added number one Gonzaga to the schedule. So we can be sad about losing the, the matchup with Tom Izzo's Spartans. I know uh, Joey Hauser certainly is the, the matchup with his brother. Uh, we could be sad about losing the matchup with Jay Wright's Villanova team. I was really interested to see how that compared to what Virginia Tech was able to do. But hey, getting a game uh, in a neutral site against Mark Few's Gonzaga team, number one in the country, this is pretty cool. David, how did first off, how did this game come to be? COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that how they all come to be on, on short notice? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. Um, they were supposed to play, they meaning Gazaga, they were supposed to play Baylor. Yeah. In what, would have been, in what would have been a 1-2 matchup. I believe they were supposed to play in Indianapolis. But that game got scuttled. And so CBS, which had the television rights to that game, went looking for a replacement and approached Virginia. And this was during Virginia's the early part of Virginia's COVID pause when Tony Bennett thought mistakenly that he could still play 
Villanova last Saturday, and he was prepared to play Villanova on the 19th and Gonzaga on the 26th. I mean, that would have been a pair of non-conference challenges now. Um, but, you know, the Villanova game could not happen. And now they'll go to Fort Worth and hopefully play <laughs> Gonzaga. And, wow, I haven't seen a lot of Gonzaga, but Gonzaga has arguably the three best wins in the country. Yeah. I mean, they've beaten Iowa, Kansas, and West Virginia, all of them top 10 teams. Yeah, and, I, I oh, by the way, none of them at home. Yeah, I, I watched that Iowa game, and I, I watched it anticipating a real down-to-the-wire. I thought that was a, a big-time showdown matchup, and Gonzaga was was actually, I thought, in a different league. I mean, they were just – that their offense, Gonzaga, is so good, which is what makes this matchup yep. so exciting, and, and I'm really looking forward to watching it. You know, I think Virginia's defense is, is still tweaking, still fine-tuning, but – we know what Virginia's defense is. We know how it's designed. We know how it's emphasized, how it's coached. I think they're a really good defensive team again this year. Gonzaga is as good an offensive team as I've seen in a while. I think they have all kinds of weapons offensively. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the, you know, cliche, but uh, clash of styles in this one. Mike, Virginia held William and Mary to 40 points yesterday. If Virginia can hold Gonzaga to 40 and a half, they'll be doing really well. <laughs> now, Tony, great, some, great somewhere, Tony Bennett, well, I'm sure he's a loyal listener to the podcast, by the I way. I hope so. <laughs> he, he would get hives if he heard that. But I'm, I'm telling you, and, and the Suggs kid, the, the, the freshman point guard, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's talking about him, and you don't normally associate this with, with Gonzaga. He won and done, and he's going in the top five of the draft. Yeah, that's not the way Mark Few has, has built that team, but it's the reward for the way Mark Few has built that team, right? Yeah. Like he's built a program that, okay, we don't care about the league or the location or anything. Like Gonzaga is as big a name in college basketball as there is, and now they're in the market for guys like Suggs. And uh, yeah, just going to be a, a phenomenal matchup. And I think you're right, David. I mean, I think if that game is played, if that game is played in the 70s, I think that's a huge victory for UVA and gives them a, a great shot. Um, yeah. If it's in the eighties and nineties, uh, unless it's in double overtime, I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not loving their chances, but I am loving the fact that um, CBS, UVA, Gonzaga, they gifted us a, a Christmas present here, right. As we go into the, in the holiday season, because this is a game for us to look forward to. And, and with that, David, I, I wish you and your family a very happy holidays, Christmas, New Year's. Uh, it's been fun doing this show this year. We're looking forward to coming back next year, but very happy holiday to, to you and yours. Mike, same to you and all in your orbit, and of course, to all our listeners. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite shows. Please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. If you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift, you can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Enjoy the holidays. Happy New Year. And please join David and me again in 2021.